Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. Um, if you've been around Voyage, uh, there's a passage that we talk about. Actually, Pastor Ron was up here earlier doing Giving Moment, and one of the things we root giving around is Matthew 6.21. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I meet people um, when it usually, one of the big pushbacks in church is uh, when it comes to tithe and offering, right? People, like, kick against it, and they're like, oh, all church always wants to talk about money. And, you know, if you've been around here, it's like, well, Amazon talks about money, and you don't have any problem clicking no buttons there, okay? Um, but one of the things with giving that we talk about is wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, number one, God doesn't strong arm anyone. The Bible says he loves a cheerful giver, so there's zero pressure when it comes to giving to God. Um, but you find out that wherever you invest is where your heart goes. So I meet people, they're like, well, I'll invest in the things of God when I get my heart right with God. And the problem is just not the principle. The principle is when you invest, you tell your heart where to go. Now, Matthew 6 is a really powerful passage, and I don't want to talk about giving today, but I just wanted to give you that context because that's Matthew 6.21, but I want to unpack for a few moments Matthew 6.22 and 23. What I want to do in this series, Voyage Vision, I would love to take the time to tell you all about how this started and the steps of faith and the, just the, the crazy radical steps that people took, um, but I don't have time in any of these messages. And so what we're actually doing this month is we are preparing to celebrate, but then we're going to be offering something um, four to six times a year called Voyage Vision. And if you have started coming around, you're like, man, I want to know more of the heartbeat and where they stand theologically on certain things and, and what's the long-term vision. We're going to offer something four to six times a year. It'll be after a Sunday called Voyage Vision, and you'll be able to come to it. Food will be provided. You're going to be able to hear from my wife and I and some of our team and just really casting vision on where we believe the Lord's taking us. And that's just something that as new people come in, um, in five years from now, when they're like, well, why doesn't Pastor ever talk about the story of how Voyage started? It would just take too long. So you could sign up for Voyage Vision, and you could go be a part of that. But this series is more of I want you to see the heart when it comes to what God has asked us to do according to his word, and what does it mean to be on a voyage. And so let me read you Matthew 6, 22 through 23. It says this. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. It's just like Jesus to make a statement that's so thought-provoking and then at the end kind of just punch you in the mouth a little bit. And remember, a lot of times there's a lot of religious people around Jesus, a lot of religious leaders who think they got the light, and Jesus is making the statement, knowing they're in earshot, and he's going, but if you think you got light, and it's darkness, oh, how deep that darkness is. And the reason he says that, that's even in accordance with, in the book of James chapter one, it says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer, rather fooling yourself. The reason he says that darkness is so deep is because there are people who claim to have light, but what they actually have is darkness, but they fooled themselves. In the Old Covenant, one of the prophets actually says, woe to those who call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. And that's the culture that you live in. I don't know if you know that. You live in a culture that calls bitter sweet and sweet bitter. They call light dark and they call darkness light. And the prophet says, woe to those. In other words, hey, you, you better watch out because there is light, there is darkness, there is truth, there is lies. And the good news is, is that light and truth 
are not found in you being shamed and condemned to feel bad for all the things you've done wrong. I, I don't think anybody in here needs to be told how wrong you are. The Bible would go on and actually theologically break down for you and I that we are born wrong. You are born in sin. But everybody in here, no matter if you believe in God or you don't believe in God, you know innately that there's something off. You, you have this propensity to want to do wrong. You have a propensity to show a certain finger in traffic. You have a propensity to want to prove that you're right to your spouse. When you know you're wrong, but something now is too late, you're already, you're already too far in now. <laughs> None of y'all, just me, okay. We're, we're born wrong. And so how deep that darkness is when we're not willing to acknowledge it, but we call it something that it's not. And what Jesus is addressing here is very important, but what I want to focus on mainly is this idea of when your eye is healthy, your body is full of light. Thinking about the voyage. What does it mean to be on the voyage of following Jesus? What is a voyage? I'm gonna be honest, when the Lord gave us that word, it was more from a worship song called Voyage that um, we were in a, a difficult season and we were listening to this song and there were just some really powerful statements. And I'll never forget Shauna. She was sitting in the back seat with Summer because if you're a parent and you have your first kid, the mom's sitting in the back with the kid for the first kid. You don't do that for the rest of your kids, but for the first kid. Um, and so she's in the back seat and I'll never forget listening to that song. She says, that's it. I said, what? She said, it's called Voyage. Now, this was in 2016. We didn't move here until 2021. The Lord dropped this in her heart. And so we held on to that. But just as a Bible nerd, I just started looking through all the scriptures. I was like, where's all the word, uh, the word voyage in the Bible? And there's like one. And it's like, Paul went on a voyage to Crete. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> that didn't really, that doesn't really help. Like, you know, that'd be a cool vision statement. We want to be like Paul and go to Crete, come to our church, you know? And so from there, it was like, okay, we're not going to try to, like, find this thing in Scripture. It's just the reality of a voyage means a long and extended journey. And Shauna and I have done ministry for quite a while. And one of the things that breaks our hearts so deep is as youth pastors for over 12 years, seeing people say yes to Jesus and then just giving up and walking away. There's nothing, when, especially if you've ever been in ministry and you lay your life down. When people show up on your back porch cracked out with their car still running and your back door opens and you let them sleep on your couch when your two-year-old's in their crib because you just know that God has something on their life and they walk away and they go back to the addiction after three months of being clean. And nothing breaks my heart more than when people taste and see that he's good, but then they turn and walk away. And I think some people just think, if I give my life to Jesus, it's gonna be easy there's nowhere in the Bible that says that. It's not about it being easy. It's about it being worth it. You're going to have trouble. John 16, Jesus said, you will have trouble. I'd just rather have it with him than without him. It's worth it. But that's where we kind of just said, okay, so the voyage is really just about saying yes to Jesus all the days of our lives. Well, as we were preparing to move here to Plant Voyage Church and it Many of you know, some of you might not. We knew no one when we moved here. Zero relationships, friendships. And so it was just like, okay, God, you're either gonna do it or you're not. And we'll just, you know, call mom and dad if it doesn't work out and go back home. But I'll never forget, a friend sent me a sermon one day. He said, John, you need to listen to this. And, and I have friends who do that. You know, a lot of friends in ministry, are like, bro, you gotta hear this message, you know, listen to this. 
And he sent me this message. He was like, no, John, I need you to stop whatever you're doing. And I like voice text. I was like, I'm driving right now. And he was like, I need you to pull over and listen to this right now. And I was like, bro, if this ain't good. <laughs> and he sent me a message. It was just a short excerpt of this passage. And the guy teaching began to dig into the original language in, in this New Testament passage in the Greek. And he broke down a word. So now when you look at this statement and it says, when your eye is healthy. Now, sometimes we see a statement in um, the English translation or if you're reading a transliteration and you see a statement, but in the Greek, it can just be a singular word. Um, the, the English language, let's just be honest, I would say it's probably better to be a Christian anywhere else in the world than in an English speaking country because our language is just really, really, really weak. Okay, so that's why it's very important. Um, don't ever just be someone who follows Jesus and was like, well, I'm not smart enough to like learn the original language of Hebrew and Greek. Yes, you can. There's a website called blueletterbible.org. You can literally hover over every word in the Bible. It'll tell you what the breakdown is and what it means in the original language. There's a new app called The Literal Word. And in The Literal Word, do the same thing. You can just hold the word in English and it'll break down in the original language its meaning. And then guess what you do? You just read the definition. You don't have to be some crazy smart Bible person, but you can find depth within that because our language is weak. So he began to break down this statement, I is healthy. Now the word for that is this word haplos. If you're taking notes, it's H-A-P-L-O-U-S. H-A-P-L-O-U-S. For any Greek scholars in the room, if I'm saying that wrong, just stay quiet. Doesn't matter. Um, but haplos, H-A-P-L-O-U-S. Now, what's interesting, you can do this in Hebrew and in Greek. Um, I would say Hebrew is even more dense in that, that the lettering has meaning, not just words, but, but lettering. But in the Greek, there are, just like we have in English, we have compound words, right? We have these kind of two words merged together. Now, this word haplos, if you just look at it on the surface level in this passage, it means one or singular, one or singular. So he says, if your eye, now isn't it interesting that he says like, if your eye, he doesn't say if your eyes, he says, if your eye. Now that would just seem strange to be like, hey, if your eye is healthy, then your whole body is filled with light. So it's like, I can have, you know, I can have a lazy eye that's not so healthy, but I can have one healthy eye. No, it's not what it's saying. But it says, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but in seventh grade, I had a teacher, Miss Michael, I think she's already passed and gone, so she wouldn't listen to this podcast, but she had a real bad lazy eye, and I'll never forget someone getting in trouble for having gum, and she said, spit it out, and like three people got up and spit out gum. <laughs> it was, I thought she was looking at me. Anyways, uh, squirrel, I don't know why I told you that, but so everybody good? If your eye is healthy, the one eye, right? The singular one. Why does it say one? Why does it say singular? Now, what's interesting when you take this word haplos, if you, it, it does have another word inside of it, and that is the word plos. It's just P-L-O-U-S. And when that guy said, Pastor John, I need you to pull over. No, I need you to listen to this now. Like, no, dude, I need you. And I was like, okay. And I start listening, and he, the, the pastor talks about this one singular thing, and I was like, cool. And, and, and then he says, but if you take P-L-O-U-S, that word in Greek is interesting. He said, because following Jesus is not an overnight thing. It is a, all the days of your life you're planted in the house of the Lord. The wind came, the rain blew, but my house is built on Jesus. And all the days of my life, no matter how bad the storm gets, I'm planted and I'm built on a firm foundation. And then he broke down and gave the, the, the singular definition for the word plos. And it means voyage. 
So in other words, he's actually saying in this passage, when your one singular focus is on this, this voyage, this journey, it says your whole body is healthy. Isn't it interesting that the voyage of following Jesus is much more than just health in your spirit, but health for your entire body? The people who are the most driven, who have the greatest endurance, who have some of the times of greatest joy, but also can find joy in their greatest pain are the people that I have found that are fixed on this one voyage of following Jesus. They're not in love with the church more than they're in love with Jesus. They're not in love with being theologically correct more than they're in love with Jesus. They have found their one thing. We sing it around here every so often. My one thing, this one voyage, because if my eye is healthy, if my eye is set on this one voyage, my life is healthy. But if my eye isn't set on this one voyage, if I'm distracted, I don't know if you've ever had a season where maybe even in your body, you've gotten sick because you were stressed and overwhelmed and distracted. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. I remember, I think it was 2017, um, our pastor gave me, uh, we were, Shauna and I were doing youth ministry, but um, I worked in the office. Shauna was home with Summer. And she was little at that time. And, and I remember our pastor saying, hey, John, I want to start a ministry school. I want to put you over that as well. And he's like, so I need you to figure out how to get accreditations. I need you to figure out how to recruit students, all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay. Y'all, I broke out in shingles at 29 years old. Literally. And I was like, what's happening? And then... <laughs> I think pastor was like, yeah, that maybe was too much. So he, I remember he pulled Shauna aside and he said, hey, I think I'm gonna bring you on staff and just put you over all the ministry school stuff. What do you think? She's like, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> just in that season, so distracted, so many things, even, are you ready? For God. How many people are distracted on behalf of God and you're not healthy? Some of you are distracted, not anything to do with God. Bro, you're trying to keep all these DMs in order, the people you're sending stuff to and engaging with, but then you got this one girl you're talking with, but you don't want her to know that you're talking with it. That some of y'all can live so distracted and it affects you. Why am I so tired when I wake up? Is, are you set on this one thing? Because when the eye is unhealthy, you're unhealthy. And so here is this single-minded focus. Now, one of the issues with following Jesus, especially in our culture today, is what a lot of people say about Christians is they'll say, you're so single-minded. You're so narrow-minded. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Um, well, number one, um, a lot of times they're saying that to Christians who think that it's their job to condemn and convict everyone. But that's not a Christian's job, just so you know. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, and the word convict means to be convinced. Convinced. So there's a lot of people who think when it's following Jesus, it's all about like, they're just here to make me feel bad. No, 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 no. God actually desires to convince you that there's a better way of living and it's his way. That is the job of the Holy Spirit is to convince you. If you look at the passage, Jesus is actually talking to some disciples and he says, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna convict the world of sin. In other words, people who don't follow Jesus are gonna be convinced that, bro, this ain't working. I've been doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result and I'm not satisfied and nothing is fulfilling me. And he, the Holy Spirit will convince people there's a better way. But then he says to the disciples, the Holy Spirit will convict you of righteousness. What does that mean? He's saying he's gonna convince you that you 
Like, if you've ever struggled with sin, you say yes to Jesus, and you go back to some things, you're like, I shouldn't be doing this, but it feels good, you know? And you go back to it. What the Holy Spirit does, you know, after you do that thing, and then you're like, I just feel terrible again. It's The Holy Spirit's not here trying to make you feel terrible. The sin is what feels terrible. The Holy Spirit is convincing you, yeah, you were bought for a higher price than living that way. And then the last conviction is my favorite one. It says, and he'll convict the ruler of this world of his destruction. That's Satan. He loses, y'all. He loses. But we can get our culture can get a skewed view of the perfection of Christ, and we can get blamed for being single-minded and narrow-minded. And I want you to hear me today. That is the way to life. If you ever get called narrow-minded as a follower of Jesus, you just let them know, hey, you're loved by God, but you're right. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and only few that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it. I've got, it's a narrow way. It's a narrow way. Some people be like, you're so single-minded. You're not open to a bunch of different things. First off, I'm open to sit down and listen to anyone, and I'm not here to tell anyone how they should live. I'm not here to tell someone you better do this. I have a responsibility as a son of the king to invite people to the greatest adventure, which I believe is called the voyage of following Jesus, and it's an invite. And if you don't want it, you do you, boo-boo, that's fine. You ain't gotta follow him. He ain't gonna, he's not gonna twist your arm because he's a good father. He's a loving father. It's an invitation. You can accept it if you want. But the book of James in chapter one says that if you begin to doubt that you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways, so yeah, I'm single-minded. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not putting on my name on a list for being unstable. I don't know if any college students in the room are like, oh, I'm trying to figure out my degree. I'd really like, oh, is that the one for like not sure about anything in life and super confused, unstable? Please put my name on the list. No, what are you doing? You're like, I feel a little unstable, but I'm trying to find the direction. So yes, when we say yes to this one voyage, this we lock our eyes and we fix our face on this, yes, it is single-minded. It is Jesus, it's only ever been Jesus, it'll always be Jesus. No matter what you're going through, it's him, because our eye is set. Our eye is set, I want you to look at Hebrews 12 too, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Is anybody thankful that he endured the cross? I want you to notice that he endured it. Don't chalk up that Jesus is the son of God and because he was God in the flesh that it didn't take him, he didn't have to endure it and he didn't feel pain and like, oh, he's the son of God and he's divine and you know, whatever, he could handle it. No, he, whatever pain it would feel like for you to be whipped until your backbone was hanging out, whatever it would feel like for nails to be driven through your body to hang on a cross is the exact thing he felt on your behalf. He did that in obedience to his father on behalf of us. He was willing, so he endured the cross, despising the shame. I don't know if you've ever thought about that statement, but Jesus on the cross, despising the shame, not only the shame of what it was on him, despising the shame of what he was destroying and all the shame that sits on each and every one of us because of our sin. I could just see him on the cross, just in the, in, in the spiritual realm, in the unseen realm, just Jesus, kind of got this like mean mugging face and he's just looking at shame. He just despises, he's like, I'll kill you. I'll destroy you, death. I'll destroy you, wages of sin. I'll pay the price. 
I despise this shame, and it will not go unpunished. That's what your king did on your behalf. If you've ever felt shame and regret for something in your past, Jesus didn't look at you and despise you. He looked at the shame and despised the shame. He looks at you with love in his eyes and despises the shame that wants to cripple you from your calling and your purpose, and then he destroys it, so much so that when he's on the cross, there's two thieves, two people who deserve to be on crosses. One, just mocking him. If you're the son of God, take yourself off, prove it. The other one, obviously recognizing, whoa, 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 there's something holy about this man. He makes this statement to Jesus. He says, Father, or he says to Jesus, he says, hey, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And then Jesus obviously makes a statement to the Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But he says to that other thief, he says, surely today you'll be with me in paradise. Now you know what's really crazy about that statement is we, we, we focus on something here at Voyage is we're not just interested in you saying yes to Jesus and then you get out a hell free card and you just kind of like suffer through life and hang around till you get to heaven. We believe, as Jesus said, we are called to pull heaven to earth, on, on earth as it is in heaven. That's our responsibility. We have an assignment right here. Jesus prayed for us in John 17 and said, Father, don't take them out of the world. Keep them safe from the evil one. If the goal of Christianity is for you to accept Christ and just go to heaven, then why did Jesus say don't take them out of the earth? You have an assignment and a purpose to fulfill right now before we get to that place. But what's crazy is what God is actually doing, if you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, God's whole purpose is just trying to get us back to what he originally wanted all along. And what's crazy about that moment on the cross is we hear, surely you'll be with me in paradise. But in the Hebrew, like in the Aramaic, in the original language, what Jesus actually said and the way that a Jewish person would have heard it would have been, I'll see you in the garden later today. Because Jesus' purpose is to get you and I back to God's intention, which God created the garden. He gave it to Adam and Eve, humans, and he said, enjoy it. I know maybe you grew up in church and you were told that when I die, I'm just gonna live in heaven, but the, the end of the book doesn't say that. The end of the book says there's a new heaven and a new earth. Why the heck is there a new earth if nobody's gonna be on it? He's getting it back to his original intention, but the one who deceived them in the garden is now gonna be thrown into the lake of fire, and you and I will get to enjoy what God desired all along. It's perfect relationship with God, fulfilling what he did in the very beginning. I know I just dropped that on some of y'all. It wasn't even in my notes. Some people's theology is like, whoa, wait a second. I thought I was supposed to be in heaven on clouds. Go read Revelation. There's a new heavenly Jerusalem. It comes down. Heaven and earth are together. That, that's, that's what eternity is. That's what eternity is. Living in fullness, no pain, no death, no sadness. But how does that happen? When you fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, John 3, it says this. Because I want you to know, number one, we've got to fix our eyes on this one voyage. But the thing I want to leave you with today is then how do I even begin that voyage? Maybe you're here today and you've never started the voyage of following Jesus. Maybe you've never made a decision to say, I want to follow him. Honestly, I thought Christians were kind of weird. You guys are like not as weird. So I don't know. I'm kind of leaning in on this. What, I don't know what, what your answer is. Maybe you're here and you're like, oh, I do follow Jesus. But maybe it's time for you to refix your eyes. Get distracted with many things. Some of you have been hurt in church, and then somehow, some way, because a church which is imperfect hurt you, you somehow took that imperfection, you put it on the face of a perfect father, and then you somehow treat God in a way of angst because of the way that the, the church treated you. And I just want you to know that's not God. And so John 3, there's this really interesting thing that happens. This guy named Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now, Nicodemus is a religious leader, 
And I, I know you've probably heard from John 3 before, and you'll hear a little bit, but look at what happens. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. How do you start the voyage of following Jesus? You gotta be born again. You gotta be born again. Well, well how do I do that? You Place your faith in Jesus, and you tell God that I want to be born again. And that's when it starts. It is, yeah, it's really that simple. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. Yeah, yeah, I know, but like, what do I need to like, what do I need to get out of my life so that I can start following Jesus? No, 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 you don't get stuff out of your life to start following Jesus. You start following Jesus, and then he starts showing you what can't stay. Because when you set your eye on this one voyage, you'll start finding like, oh, that's one of those weights that so easily entangle me. That can't go. But there are so many people who feel like they've got to get themselves fixed up and then come to Jesus. You can't do his job. You're not him. You don't have to get yourself right to come to him. You come to him because he's right. And so... Jesus is telling him, hey, the only way is to be born again. Now, you need to know this religious guy shows up to Jesus in the middle of the night and, and sneaks into a room and says this, hey, teacher, we all know that you're from God. We all know. He's basically, like, he's ratting on all of his other boys going, hey, all those religious, like, pretentious people have their nose up at you, I've heard them talk. We all know that you're from God. And so Nicodemus is doing something dangerous. Like if the other religious leaders find out what he's doing, like he could get ostracized, could get punished, put in prison. Like this is a big deal what he's doing. Asking, curious. But why is he asking? Because he's like, there's something about you, Jesus. You're not just a man. There's something more. Someone's in this room today. You grew up in America. You've heard all about Jesus. You've heard tons of Hollywood movies make mockeries of baby Jesus. You've heard a lot about Jesus. And you've done everything in your power to just kind of like, you know, listen to some, you know, really terrible YouTube videos and people who are ignorant and ill-informed. And then you use that as your basis of belief. And what ends up happening is deep down, you get into a space like this and you're looking around and you don't know that just three seats from you, someone's marriage was completely in shambles. But because of Jesus and them stepping into this local church, their family's thriving. Their young people were down here on their face worshiping King Jesus. And the very Jesus that you said, he's just a man in a room like this, you start going like Nicodemus. Hey, we all know there's something more. I know there's something more. I've tried to push it away because of my shame and my guilt and because of some Christians who portrayed him wrong. I thought that you were just gonna shame me and guilt me and I didn't know that you were gonna draw me with loving kindness, Jesus. And so here's Nicodemus asking this question in the middle of the night. And I want you to know that because of that moment, it sets the stage for the gospel of really what happens here at our church. A few weeks ago, Someone stopped me and they said, hey, I've, uh, I've heard who Voyage is for. Um, you know, there, there's some people, like your church has been around for almost two years. Like um, there's a lot of people say like, oh, it's just for young people. Well, that's not fair to people who are seasoned, okay? Um, <laughs> a seasoned person just said thank you. Um, I had someone else say, well, your church is for Christians who are like growing. It's not for baby Christians. And I was like, well, you don't get to make that decision. And as I was thinking through this, 
I just was like with the Lord, and I was like, so Lord, who is Voyage 4? And he just took me back to the beginning. And obviously, Jesus tells Nicodemus in this moment, hey, you got to be born again. And all of you know this passage. You've heard it. Even if you don't know God, you've heard it. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We don't read verse 17 a lot, but I really think we should because it's the fullness. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Do you know how many people think that Christianity is built on people being condemned? And literally in the most famous verse, the very next statement says, God didn't send Jesus to condemn people. He sent Jesus so that the world might be saved. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, who's this for? And I went and read John 3, 16. Whosoever. Whosoever. Yeah, yeah, you don't know my past, though. You don't know the stuff I've done. Man, if I walk into a church building, it's going to fall down. Hey, look, I love you, and God loves you too, but God don't hate me so much that because of your past, he's just going to kill all of us because you made a mistake, all right? I hear people say that all the time. I'm, I'll walk into the building, lightning's going to strike. No, he, he loves you and all of us, okay? That lightning strike and all of that wrath because you have a bad picture of God, you think he's gonna do it to you, but he did it to Jesus for you. That's the gospel. Whosoever, I don't care what your past looks like, what you've gone through. So who's the voyage of following Jesus for? Not, not voyage a church, not, not a brand. No, I'm talking about the voyage of following Jesus. Who's it for? Whosoever will. Whosoever will believe, whosoever will say, I'm not gonna let my past, I'm not gonna let my successes or my failures be the thing that which I build my life on. I'm not gonna live as a victim, but I'm finding out that I can actually be a victor in Christ. And I am one of the people who just says, I'll be a whosoever will. Whosoever will, I'm gonna believe. It doesn't all make sense, it doesn't all add up, but guess what? I thought that that was gonna work and that was gonna work and that marriage was gonna work and that was gonna work. I thought that if I could vicariously live my life through my child and do the things that I didn't do when I was young, that I would feel somewhat more fulfilled, but now my family's in shambles, so I'll just believe. I'll be a whosoever will. And, and here's the beauty of it. If you decide to be a whosoever will and it doesn't work, go back to how you were living before. I mean, all that happens is you prove that Christianity's not real, God's not real, it's not right, and then you can go back living miserable. It's fine. Unless you find out that he's everything. He's the lover of your soul. That saying yes to him every day in some of the darkest, most painful moments is the greatest joy you'll ever find. It's just saying yes to Jesus over and over and over because it's for the whosoever will. Nicodemus in the middle of the night asking, what do I got to do to be born again? But isn't that the statement? Like, think about it. The entire Christian life is built off of this one moment in the middle of the night. Because I know, maybe you didn't know, as I just said that, you thought John 3, 16, because it's the most famous verse, it's something Jesus preached on like a mountainside like he did with the Beatitudes. no. John 3.16 was never something Jesus got on a stage and preached to the masses. John 3.16 is when someone who knew that Jesus was from God snuck out and came and asked him a question and Jesus' response in the middle of the night in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, 
was John 3.16. Do you want to know what the voyage of following Jesus looks like? It doesn't look like you coming to church, thinking it's cool, you like the band, I'm going to invite some friends to come here, pastor, and then maybe they'll accept Jesus. The voyage of following Jesus is you following so closely that someone sees something about your life, and they send you a text, they knock on your door, and they say, I need to ask you a question, because there's something about your life that has shifted, and you'll find out that you'll be the one to preach John 3.16, not pastor, not at church, but just like Jesus did when someone comes and asks a question because of the life that you're fixed on living. Jesus was fixed on this life and all the religious leaders knew. We know religion, but we don't know that because Jesus had a relationship with the Father. They had religion, but Jesus had relationship. And so Jesus gives them the gospel, gives Nicodemus the gospel in the middle of the night because someone asked a question. Invite your friends to church. Do that's fine. But do not settle for less by thinking, oh, I'm not going to know what to say. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you don't have to have much to say other than they're like, how? How, how did you go from this? I knew you in high school. How, how did you go? How'd your marriage go from this to the how? Jesus. He said, whosoever will believe. I just, I, we decided to believe. Me and my spouse decided to put Jesus at the center. A college student, someone going like, bro, you, what happened just six months ago? Like when I hit you up, like we were out all the time. What's going on? Jesus, I, I got sick and tired of doing the same thing every single night and nothing changing. I just decided to be one of the whosoever will. And all, how does it happen? It's, it's what Jesus simply said to that guy in the middle of the night. Just be born again. I don't know if there's anybody in here that was born into a bad situation. Father left you. Maybe you never even knew your parents. I just want you to know the gospel brings good news. You can be born again. You can be born into a family. Some of you can find spiritual parents in the house of God. That's why the church and the community of God is so important. So maybe you were born into just some, some really, really awful stuff. And a lot of the trauma and difficulty in your life is all wrapped around the fact Everything you, you point back to, every time you struggle with something, you go back to blaming your past and blaming what you were born into. And I just want to let you know, because of Christ, you can be set free from that. You can be born again. A brand new start, a fresh start. Maybe you're in here today and you struggle with a lifestyle choice that you've decided to settle for less than God's best, and you make this statement. I was born this way. Can I just be very clear here at Voyage Church? If you choose a certain lifestyle and you make the statement, I was born this way. And so every time you say it's wrong, it's affecting my identity. I need you, number one, to know there is nothing in the earth that you will be able to identify with. And, and this is for everyone. High school students, bro, you might be really good at football. Don't you dare put your identity in that because all it takes is one knee blown out. And what you thought was going to be a secure, secure future is no longer. Married people in the room, don't you dare put your identity and all the weight of your life in your spouse because they cannot fulfill you. Maybe you're in here and you struggle with your sexual identity. Don't you dare identify with something like that because your spirit is much more than your sexual identity. You're so much more valuable than that. But if you're in this room, you're like, but pastor, I was born this way. There's no one here that'll try to argue you. You know what I'll tell you? You can be born again. You can be born again. 
it levels the playing field. Because some of you in here are like, yeah, but pastor, I was born into a really good family with really good values in a great church. I know all the answers in the Bible. Like, like I was born in a good situation and honestly, it set me up. Like, I don't really have to worry about much. My mom or dad's business, like I'm gonna be taken care of. I got good news for you. You can be born again. Because don't you dare put your life and those successes and those unearned promotions as something that you think will get you somewhere because of cultural values and societal norms. You must be born again. And what being born again does, it levels the playing field for every background, every struggle, every culture, every language, every tribe, all over the earth. Because remember, Jesus is the king of kings. So it's not just Christianity in America. Um, Christianity is not America's religion. We're blessed that it even made it over here. Christianity came because there was a Christ, a Jewish man who came who was the Messiah. And when he stepped in, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will get to God. You'll never find fulfillment outside of me. Repent. Turn. There's a better way. There's a new way. You can be born again. Everything you've been struggling with, you can die to that. And there is a new life found in Jesus. And all the shame that's held you down, all the regret that's tried to keep you locked up and living in torment in your mind, you can be born again. This is not some fictitious idea. This is not Jesus the man from Nazareth just coming up with some nice little spiritual statement. This was a culture-shaking moment for him to go, I'm the son of God, and you can be born again if you believe in me. That statement got him killed, and he went all the way to the very end because he said, this death is worth every bit of shame that they'll feel. I'll despise it till the very end. Then I'll kill death, and then I'll resurrect. Then I'll reveal myself historically to people where we have historical records that a resurrected man showed himself to over 500 people in the biblical times outside of the Bible. We have archeological and historical evidence that a resurrected man that the earthquake that the Bible says happened, we have historical evidence that that temple broke in two. We can go to the sites. It's on the planet that you're living on right now. He is the Messiah. He is the one. He's the one where you can be born again. And when you say yes to him, this voyage, I'm telling you, there's nothing else like it. And some of you are in here, yeah, yeah, but I've got this, this business, I got my family. All of that can come along on the voyage. That's the beauty. You get to have all of that and everything you hope that it would be, fullness comes to it when your eyes are fixed. Will you stand to your feet all over the room this morning? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're battling. Maybe you're in here and you follow Jesus, but you just need to fix your eyes again. If you need to fix your eyes again, today's the day. Because there's nothing like the voyage of following Jesus. But maybe you're in here today and you've never given your heart and life to Christ. Today's the day where you can be born again. What do I got to do, Pastor? What hoops do I got to jump through? Whosoever will believe. Do you want to be a whosoever? Tell him you believe. Tell him you believe. Wait, Pastor, do I need to fill out a card? No. Do I need to come down front? No. Tell Jesus that you believe and begin to follow him.
Begin to surround yourself in biblical community. Begin to get yourself in the word of God because the voyage of following Jesus is a voyage. It's a long and extended journey all the days of your life. It's just got to start somewhere. Why not right now? Heads bowed, eyes closed all over the room. Is there anybody in here? Just simply, maybe you're unsure, you don't know what it'll look like, but you're like, bro, nothing else is working. If that's you today and you're like, I'd like to be born again, will you lift your hand in the room right now if that's you? Just say, I want to be born again. I see you, bro. I see you. Is there anyone else? Lift your hand. Say, I just want to be born again. I see you. Hallelujah. I see you. So, hey, right where you're at, you can put your hand down. Nobody's coming to, like, grab you or bring you up front. If you want to come to the altar, the altar's open. But, dude, right where you're at in your seat, there's about four or five guys in the room that just raised their hand. Hey, bro, wherever you're at, you go ahead and tell Jesus, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. Tell him that you repent of your sin. Tell him that you're going to follow him. You're turning to him. And then right now, if there's anyone else in this room, if you need to fix your eyes again on the author and the finisher, if you've had some things that have been distracting you and worrying you, right now is the time as we gather as the local body of believers and we refix our eyes. So Jesus, right now, we do what the scripture says. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and the finisher. You despised our shame. You destroyed death. And so we set our eyes on this one voyage of following you, Jesus. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.